0: Okay, with all of that said, we have a special guest preacher this morning. Uh, Pastor Norman Nakanishi is a native Hawaiian. And about 25 years ago, him and his wife planted a church in Honolulu called Pearlside. And it has grown and it has multiplied. And they have planted churches all over the islands there. And they're a part of our Every Nation family of churches. And uh, he's been with me this weekend and he's gonna he's gonna preach the word this morning so can we give him a round of applause Simon, thank you pastor Simon Bardoni do you call him Bardone or Bardoni okay <laughs> Bardoni it is I hear there's a place called Aloha in Oregon yes. <laughs> well I really want to give you some Aloha from Hawaii Uh, They're actually, they've relocated here from Hawaii to Portland, Um, and that's uh, Courtney and and Warren Yamamoto with their family back there. Why don't you guys kind of wave? They were, at our Pearlside Church, they were small group leaders, serve team members. He was a shuttle driver, and so, uh, you know, we got some Hawaiian warmth here uh, this morning. So it was powerful. By the way, Amazing Grace is the series. You're an amazing grace church. Thank you. That was very good, Shirley. And I bring you greetings from Hawaii. Little things, just a few things about me. I am an older guy. Um, I've got three girls. Their ages are, because I'm going to answer the questions that people have been asking while I've been here so that you all know at once, my daughters, I have three girls, 38. 35, and 33. I have three grandchildren, a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, eight, and a 3-year-old. And so, yes, I'm not as old. I'm, I'm older than I look. Okay? But that, does that work well? All right. So, what a privilege uh, to be here. I'm excited about the building and the place that you're believing for that's already in process you need to know that when the Lord moves that quickly to give you a building, our building, we didn't enter our building until we were 20 years old. Okay, we had a wonderful place in a college, so God is giving you a Christmas gift, and we're going to be praying for you from the islands, and we're going to be seeding into your church financially for this place as a gift from us. And so we're excited, okay? How many of us know that's a miracle? It's a miracle when God gives you a place. Um, And so amazing grace, we're going to talk about justifying grace this morning, part two in our Every Nation series together. So our opening text here is in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. The Apostle Paul is writing, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. First of all, the great apostle Paul asserts this truth. All have sinned. And he includes himself by saying, we in the past were messed up. That's the Hawaiian summation. All right? He says, we ourselves were slaves to our passions. We ourselves had strayed and were disobedient. He writes in the great book of Romans, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Man was made originally in the image of God, designed to give glory to God, but it was Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden that marred that image. And Scripture says, through Adam, interestingly, through the man, through Adam we all inherited from birth a nature that's flawed by sin. So, the book of Romans says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, because God looked at Adam and Eve and saw them as one, And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. That's the bad news. How many of us know there needs to be bad news before there can be the good news of the gospel? The bad news is that apart from a Savior, we have no hope for an eternity with Him in heaven. And so, while all have sinned, here's the beauty. God sent a Savior just as through one man sin entered the world. Through one man, Scripture also said, we have been redeemed, which presents to us the reason for the season which we celebrate, which is called? That's right. You know that word is being edited from vocabulary in America? It's happy holidays, not Merry Christmas. Christ, Mass. We won't get into the historicity of that but we need to say can you say that for me Merry Christmas Christmas. because if there was no Jesus we're not celebrating a happy holiday Christmas is the centerpiece and the gift of our Savior is the reason for the season so while all have sinned here's what scripture says all are saved from sin by grace through faith not by works or deeds we go back to the opening text When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. In the great book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul writes, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then, of course... In Romans, the theological treatise, the classic book, Roman Apostle Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, free gift. How many of you want free gifts? I'm into free gifts. In Hawaii, free is a wonderful word. Free gift of God is eternal life in or through Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's break it down. The word saved. Two passages. Here in verse 4 of the text, that word saved means to be delivered and rescued. And so while all have sinned, God intended from the very beginning to save us from our sin and to bring us from darkness into light. He would renovate our eternity by delivering us and rescuing us because of His mercy, not because we deserved it, but because He loved us dearly. He loved us greatly, right? So deliver and rescue from the effects of sin, that which damages us from our sin, but then, in Ephesians 2.8, that word saved is a different, it's a different inflection. It means to be justified, to be made righteous. It's a legal term. It's imputed. Because of Jesus coming as our Savior, He came, God in the form of man. If you want to know what God looks like in the form of a human being, it's Jesus, who, by the way, if you study middle, this is trivia here. If you study Middle Eastern history, Jesus was my height. <laughs> if there's nothing, you, if, if there's anything you remember, remember that the average height of the Middle Eastern, Near Eastern man in that day was five feet five. How many of you are five feet five and shorter? Elvis, okay, right over here. Right. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. Are is five feet five? Women? All right. See, we're the same size of Jesus. So, Pastor Simon is too tall. <laughs> All right. That's for free. All right. Now, he made us righteous for free. Because God in the form of man lived the life we should have lived, fulfilling all righteousness and all the law, the standard of God. He died the death we should have died, shedding his blood for the remission of our sin, the cleansing, purging of our sin. He rose again after three days, proving to be the Son of God, such that if we will turn to him, believe on Him and surrender to Him, we have eternal life. And in that moment, by that confession our faith of faith, our eternity shifts. Our destiny changes. So we are saved from our sin by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, but not for ourselves alone. This is a very important point, because just as Jesus gave his life to us as a gift, the gospel, the good news, he calls on us to take the very same gospel, his gospel, the apostle Paul called it my gospel, and to give the good news of the gospel to those who are still living with the bad news in their lives. So we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, but not for ourselves alone. And think about that. This church exists to be a gift to the city, a gift of amazing grace. And the collection of all of you here is not an accident. It's not a random chance. It's by God's providence and sovereignty that you're sitting here listening to a man who, the, who is the height of Jesus, who is called a native Hawaiian, but who is really not a native Hawaiian. He's at the, by ethnicity a Japanese-American man. Who planted a church right next to Pearl Harbor, which the Empire of Japan bombed, ushering us into World War II and chaos on December 7th, 1941. How's that for a conundrum? (laughs) You are here for a great purpose, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, but not for yourselves alone, but to be the conduit through which the gospel can go to the rest of this city and beyond into the whole world. The Holy Spirit enters our hearts and lives at the moment we make a confession of faith. No one can work himself into being accepted by God. No one can behave himself through self-improvement. No one can do enough good deeds to earn a right standing with God. Jesus did it all. He paid it all. He has provided it all. This is a concern. Because in the city of Portland, I'm in the Ace Hotel. Pastor Simon put me in the Ace Hotel. That's interesting It's a hipster hotel. It's got people that are in their 20s and early 30s. I know because for the last couple of days, I've mingled with them. Well, not really. They didn't want to mingle with me. They kind of observed me. They kind of looked at me oddly. The desk clerks kind of looked at me like, are you in the right hotel, man? Dude, you're old. Okay, nobody here is your age that stays here. All right, so I, as I entered the room, I realized, voila, they're right. <laughs> We've got a standalone bathtub. we got vinyl records. Actually, vinyl records are good. I grew up with vinyl records. I was a musician, just like Pastor Simon was, like Shirley is. I played that instrument back in the day. You put Simon and I up here probably, uh, you, we would amaze you. <laughs> but today we will spare you. All right? <laughs> Too much information, right? But let me, let me give you, I want to share a few things today, and we'll be done. Because in this season of amazing grace, I've spoken over many years. They say, if you can be brief and amazing, that's great. If you can't be brief and amazing, just be brief. Amen? <laughs> so, we're going to respect your time. Our church started in 1994. We celebrated 25 years. Six months into the church, we were running, oh, about 70 or 80 people. I was driving on the freeway, and I told the story to the leaders yesterday in our leaders' gathering. And one of Honolulu's leading hospitals says, uh, Pastor Norman Nakanishi, we have a woman in your church who is our hospital administrator who braved for a dead man who was dead for over an hour. He's come back to life and talking about things he's seen in eternity and in heaven. Um, there's the CBS television outlet that's here. They want to put you, your church, the woman, and the family on television. Would you come? Of course, back then, the cell phones were that big. It's like a weaponized thing. And I told them, I said, surely you have the wrong church. And I recommended that they check their data again and say, check with this pastor, because it can't be us. We're only 70 or 80 people. We haven't really done nothing he says well no we know we are the media we've checked okay you're the pastor so I went down not knowing fully the details I walk into the man's first I go to the desk the desk goes oh you're the pastor of the miracle man I don't even know this man I walk into the room and as I walk into the room I see the doctor who approaches me and I approach him I said doctor what's happened he says you don't know I said no I don't know well uh, he had an angioplast surgery that was supposed to be routine he coded he died we tried everything to bring him back he's only 52 years old what a tragedy except this woman in your church she says she's in your church how many of you know it's six months you're not quite sure who's in your church <laughs> she said uh, she prayed for him and he came back to life and he said the real miracle is not that he has been dead over an hour Parentheses, pause. I went, you better check the definition of a miracle, okay? Because that's a miracle. I'm just, you know, because medical science does not want to admit the M-word readily. But he says the real miracle hes not brain dead. Look at him. He's eating. He's eating fish and rice and macaroni salad. Good. Thank you. <laughs> and I said, wow. The family was there. They were grateful. I mean, it was, it was like a moment out of a movie, except I was catching up in my emotions because this happened all of a sudden. Move the clock forward a week later. He shows up in church with his family, quite obviously. He approaches uh, a cafeteria, an sc- uh, elementary school cafeteria is where we met, on the top of a hill where nobody could find it, with bad music. See, the worship you have here after three years makes me mad. (laughs) Because the music we had at three years made me sad. Okay, I went, man, they're stinking good. That's not fair. I mean, so, but he comes up on Mother's Day. He goes, he's weeping. He says, I want to tell you what happened when I died. Everybody's listening. All 80 people are leaning in, right? And he goes, first of all, There were two cities I was headed to. One was very dark, and I was afraid of that. I knew that's not where I wanted to go. The other was a city of light. I mean, a radiant gold. Of course, we know that to be heaven. At the front of the city at the gate was a black book. A man on a cross was hanging on it. Who is that? First of all, what is that black book? And who is that man on the cross? Of course, I'm over here like, you know... And that guy was a native Hawaiian. And Hawaiians, almost almost all the Hawaiians I know of, are Christians. Even if they're not fully devoted, they are—they are believers. If you're in America, not to know whether you like the book or not, not to know what the Bible is and who the man on the cross is, is just an amazing thing. He says, "No, I'm a truck driver. I "I I never—I church was not my thing, man. You know, truck drivers. Any truck drivers in here? No offense." But this guy was like absolutely clueless. And so he began to describe the fact that he could not, the Lord, he said, God, for lack of a better term, he just let him know, you can't get in to that eternity. You have to believe in my son sat with him, I said, the man on the cross is Jesus. And if you will put your faith in him and surrender to him because he's done it all for you, I said, Kenneth, you will secure eternity. God has given you a second chance at life. He received the Lord. And he's crying. And he said, I got to tell you, the music that I heard approaching the cafeteria was the music that I heard when I was dead. It was the music of heaven. In my mind, and this is humor, I went, that's not the music of heaven. (laughs) It's a lot better in heaven. Dude, it's because maybe you were dead, okay? (laughs) But see, it really doesn't matter, does it? Whatever worship we give, however well we play or sing, it is music to God's ears. It is delightful. that When we come here, and Hannah led us and the team, that's music to God's ears. I mean the Lord he notices in response to the faith that we utter and the songs that we sing and the worship that we render. It's powerful. Never take that for granted. In Hawaii sometimes we come to church on purpose late to miss the worship. And I don't know how many times I told them stop that. Don't do that because in worship you encounter the Lord and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what does the Lord do? One thing Kenneth understood and his family understood and those rest of the people understood is that God continually transforms our destiny on earth from that point and prepares us for an eternity in heaven. This is a process. And he lived to tell it. He came to the Lord. It was good and safe. You know what happened to our church at that point? We went from 80 people to 300 over the next six months because a miracle happened that no one could argue, debate, not even the medical, do- not even the doctors and nurses. They, they just, they said, it's a, say it, doc. It's a, you won't die. What's it? It's a What? I was a little weak. What is it? What was it? It's a miracle, right? Salvation is a grace-empowered miracle because what we deserve is not that. Now, let's close with this. Are you encouraged by that phrase today? Let's close with this. Don't be too encouraged. Warren and Courtney know I have long closings. Once we are justified or saved, we are sanctified to serve a God-given purpose. Remember, we, have, we, swear, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, but not for ourselves alone. Okay? Let's go back to the opening text. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, say so that. So that, being justified or made righteous by His grace, the gift of His Son, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Oh, okay. So, we are heirs. Well, let's, let's amplify that. The great book of Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 11, the apostle Paul writes, in him or through him we have obtained an inheritance. If you're an heir, you have an inheritance, Okay, so an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Flip the page over to chapter two. Apostle Paul writes, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The word workmanship means a, fa- a tapestry, essentially a masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. Prepared, God, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're not saved just to benefit eternity that's transformed in a moment when we come to faith in Christ for ourselves. Eternity that was once darkness turned into light. Kenneth Naoni, the native Hawaiian man who came to Jesus. He says, it was dark over here. But when he received Christ, there was light in his heart and faith gave him peace to know that God had given him a second chance and now he would walk towards that city. He could get into that city. Grace had transformed his eternity. But here's where, if we're not careful, we stop there and we just keep the gospel to ourselves. How many of us know when there's good news, you spread the news to others, you invite? You, Pastor Simon is doing a wedding this afternoon. And when a couple is in love, do they keep that love story to themselves? No, you tell everybody. You tell, and you invite people. I mean, the news gets out. It's awesome. It's the same thing because it's good news. We're in a season called Christmas. We need to let the news get out. We need to invite people to the wedding. We need to invite people to the celebration of the birth. In Hawaii, the first year of a baby that's born is huge. We invite everybody and eat anything and eat everything. We have the gift of eating. Small as I am, I can out-eat half of you. It's called a fast, God-given, grace-empowered metabolism. (laughs) And how many of you are eating a lot during this season? You know why you're eating? You're celebrating the birth of Jesus, the ultimate gift of grace, given to us, not for ourselves alone, but to be shared by others who are around us. Now... We have resources. We have an inheritance, promises. Where's Caleb? I was praying with Caleb earlier today. I mean, he's teaching. See? He's giving it away. God has made you and I, once we come to him, heirs of precious promises and inheritance of unlimited grace. Grace is not only unmerited, undeserved favor. The second meaning of that word among others, is his overcoming power. To do things we cannot do in our own strength. The thing about an inheritance, unless you intentionally and deliberately tap into it, you will never experience it. Many people have an inheritance in the natural, but they've not yet tapped into it because it's in a trust. But once they tap into those finances, they experience the joy and the blessing that's been stored up for them by generations before. God says you can have at it now. that if you're his, Grace City Corvallis, you can tap into that treasure chest of grace. And you might say, well, you don't understand where I've been and what I've done. But see, if you receive Christ into your heart, knowing it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and not by works, you know that Jesus died for all. He shed his blood for you. You are qualified to tap into that inheritance, to live a life above mediocrity, above normalcy, to live not an average life, but an amazing life. Because Scripture says we are saved by grace through faith, right? And then we are to engage works for which He's prepared for us in advance. In other words, we're here, once we come to know Him, to fulfill a specific calling and purpose on the planet. And your inheritance and your part in the inheritance is to tap into the grace of God to fulfill his purpose for which you were born. First great day is the day you were born. Second great day is the day you were born again or regenerated, as we read in that opening text, born again by the Holy Spirit. Third great day, you find out why you were born again. Pastor Simon could have been a rock and bass player in a Bay Area band. His dad, he tells me, still rocks out But instead, he's a hipster pastor in a hipster city with (laughs) hipster people who married a warrior bride named Shirley. Understand, understand, how does a, a man from Central California, which I've never heard that term used before, go to London for nine years, meet a beautiful woman from South Africa. They get married in London and plant a church in Portland. That's a weird plot line. That's even weirder than the Yamamotos moving from the beautiful warmth and blue skies and sandy beaches of Hawaii to live in cold, gray, dark, chilly Portland. That's a story, but this is even a greater story. And God is giving you an inheritance that's coming shortly so that the good news can go out to many so that you can invite many so that his house can be filled. In 2000, oh, what was it? The turn of the last decade, last two decades, year 2000, 2001, I was called to the hospital with my small group. You caught on an ecclesia because a man was dying. In fact, he was in intensive care. He wasn't coming back to life. And we needed to just kind of do some last rites, desperation, prayer. They, The doctors there, again, said, there's no hope. His name was Edward Onishi. I didn't know anything about him. But I went. Our small group prayed for him. And then I went back a little later just to check on what happened. They said, he's been discharged. I said, wait, 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 wait a minute. I said, his name is Ed Onishi. Okay, go check. They said, he probably wasn't going to make it, that if his stay in the hospital would be a very long one. They said, yeah, it's a miracle. What's that word again? What's that word again? So I I, kind of got to know him, his girlfriend, his significant other was working at a police station, which I thought was interesting. So I would have to meet him at the police station. They said it was an amazing thing. He just got well. I sat with him, and he was scary, began to tell me a story. He says, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be alive. I know this. He said, I spent 33 and a half years in a federal prison. I was the lead drug runner for Jimi Hendrix, Janice <laughs> Joplin, Ray Charles Jr., among others. I forget. These are all old musician dudes. How many of you know who, you know who Jimi Hendrix is? Yeah, Purple haze was in my brain, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> right. You know, so, he's a bad dude. He was a lead drug runner. He said, uh, "I have survived the hanging. I have survived being shot." and I know he was the subject of a, the largest gunfight in Hawaii history. Uh, police officers, he was the subject of a manhunt. This is like a Bonnie and Clyde thing. a hail of 312 bullets being shot into a car in a shopping center. And he walked out unscathed, finally gave himself up. He survived being stabbed, and he says, I, this is the big one, he said, I survived a four-story, they threw me out of a four-story building in L.A., and I survived that. I should not be alive. I don't deserve to be alive. I've done bad things. Think of the worst things in life a person could do. He's done them. So I'm sitting next to this guy, and he said, I met God. I went, okay, Maybe it's the drugs, okay? But when people tell me I met God, I, I'm cynical and skeptical about that. He says, no, I I'm truly met God. Uh, he says, when I was dying, I couldn't get into the city. I went, oh, where have I heard this before? Okay? And he said, I'm supposed to talk to you about how to get in. Listen to the detail. He said... I wasn't getting it the first time. He said, so I was sitting on the throne. I thought, what is he meant by sitting on the toilet? And he said, Jesus, who you call Jesus, appeared to me. How many of you had that experience? <laughs> he said, Jesus appeared to me on the throne. And I'm supposed to talk to you about how to get into heaven. I said, man, if Jesus told him, when he was on the throne I know who's really on the throne and I led him through a simple prayer shared with him the gospel God became man in the form of Jesus Christ he lived the perfect life for you Ed he died the death to pay the price for your rap he's done it all he rose again after three days proving to be the son of God there's nothing you can do to make yourself right except to receive him by faith into your heart and follow him. But in his mind, it was, that's it. I spent 33 and a half years in a federal prison. The only reason I'm out," he told me, is the governor of the state of Hawaii commuted my sentence and shortened it because I was running a racket in, 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 in the state prison, they couldn't stop. He's a leader. Leadership gift. And they did the right thing because all my contacts were gone after all those years. And the scariest thing was I didn't know anybody anymore outside of prison. The way he almost died was in a diving accident. He was a diver. And so at the bottom he lost consciousness. And they fished him out. So when I met him, He was on that rotating, spinning, kind of barbecue thing in intensive care. They put a body on that. They spin you to circulate. Now, see, he's alive. And he says another thing. Um, When they opened me up, I had cancer because they were trying to save his life. And he says, this really the cancer that was the determining factor. It was terminal. And they closed me up. They told my girlfriend, get affairs in order. He says, I no longer have cancer. And I have experienced all of this, I can't, I, I can't get into heaven. I'm supposed to talk to you about, how do I do that? I wonder how many people there are out, out there in Portland that have the same question. Who think it's the social gospel of good works rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in Ed's mind, he's thinking, I've got to earn my way. I said, no, no, Jesus did it for you. You've just got to receive him. He received the Lord, got married to his significant other. I did the wedding. And for the next several years, he did tell me, I'm on borrowed time, but I'm saved for a purpose. So what he did, he gave his life away to young people. He worked for something called the Job Corps. He was great with his hands. He could build anything. And so he went into an organization that helped troubled youth turn their lives around. He was such an amazing thing. Eventually, he passed. He passed. Let me tell you how he passed. He passed after an Easter service where he helped me share the gospel. You know how many of you know on Easter? I mean, everybody comes. And he helped me share the gospel. Over the next several years, the gospel came out of him to so many people who saw their eternity transformed by God's amazing grace because his story was incredible. And they said, if God could save him, God could save me Apostle Paul was like that His authority put people to death There's nothing more we can do To earn God's favor Ed told me The thing that I battle with the most Is forgiving myself I know it's true But it's almost too good to be true I said Ed That's the God we serve That's the Father who sent his Son Make him proud Good works matter once you're saved. Good works don't get you saved, but they matter a ton after you're saved. So I said, "Ed, sell out for Jesus." And he did. The last thing he did, he shared the gospel with me. We tanned them together in all of our services, most of our services. And guess what happened after that? Within three weeks, he passed three days before he passed I went to see him and he said I'm ready I've been on borrowed time they didn't know what was wrong with him the autopsy today was inconclusive oh I forgot to mention over those seven years he had cancer in his kidney and his liver each time we prayed for him and he was healed you don't get healed of cancer in your liver you don't get healed of the kind of cancer that he had. And each time, doctors were amazed, finally went to his surgeon, his main doctor, and we, I said, Dr. Whitney, would you be willing to get on camera to verify that this healing was a miracle? He says, well, we don't use that word. I said, I know, I know you don't use that word, but would you be able to work around that word, all right, and say that this is a miracle? He did. We put him on camera. And on Easter, we showed it. They said, we don't know what you're all doing up at that church. But whatever you're doing, you keep on doing it. Because we can't do what you're doing. But it's all grace. It's the power of the living God. Ed tapped into his inheritance. Our small group tapped into our inheritance. It says, we'll raise the dead. We'll cast out demons. The sick will be healed. We live Far short of the level of our inheritance. And I'll close with this. How many of you know who Don Piper is? Don Piper wrote a book called 90 Minutes in Heaven because he was 90 Minutes in Heaven. We had him in our church. We got to know him and his wife. The movie came out in 2015, 90 Minutes in Heaven. It spent an incredibly long time on the top of the New York bestsellers list and then stayed on the top 10, breaking records. For those of you who don 't know the story, he was in a, on a way he was a pastor on a way to a conference, and an eighteen wheeler slammed into his car, lost control. his arm was severed, so it ended up over there, uh, and he dead he was dead, he was good and dead, ninety minutes he was dead um, after ninety minutes, another pastor had been driving by, and he saw the carnage, and he decided to minister uh, and, and just be some sort of help and he said, "I went to the body, it was all draped over he was dead, and he just thought." he would just pray for the family and he would just, by laying hands on the body as a point of contact of faith, he would pray for the family because he was good and dead. But he just prayed, Lord, here's the thing. He just prayed anyway for a miracle. That's the third time we're mentioning that word from the pulpit. And he began to sing Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And all of a sudden, The dead man was singing with him. He jumped up. He was horrified. It's all in the movie. It's all in the book. Okay? You can go on YouTube. Okay? You can Google it. God, you can... Don't do it now, though. Okay? Don Piper said, I went from being in excruciating pain and being unconscious for 90 minutes being in a beautiful eternity, a home called heaven where I could... I had supernatural capability to get around. I did not want to return. He said, the things that I saw, the apostle Paul says are unlawful for me to speak. He saw his future home being built. He saw loved ones who had been, the, the, whom, with whom the gospel was shared that were in heaven ahead of him. In fact, he said, at the gates of heaven, which are made of pearl, they're all there to greet you. He thought... That's it. I'm in eternity. I've talked about it. I've preached it. And now I'm there. And after 90 minutes, the Lord said, you're not done. There is a work for which you have been prepared that you must finish before you come back. He said, I argued with, I don't want to go back. He says, you know, Norman, no one ever wants to come back once they've been there. No one. You're sad over here because you don't see what's over there. But everybody who's over there doesn't want to come back over here. You want to go over there, not stay over here. Okay, I'm confusing myself. I better stop that. But he said, I came back, and guess what? I came back into a body with excruciating pain. They had to reattach my arm. It took me two years to recover, and for two years, I shook my fist at God this personal conversation, I shook my fist. I was bitter, depressed, and angry. His wife's over there across the table telling me he was really hard to live with. And, you know, the movie may say this, the book may say this, Well, let me tell you, he was really hard to, to live with, and he had to get over the fact God had a work that he had to do. He was already saved, but now he needed to, to take the story of God's amazing grace. They reattached his arm, and, and, and now he said, God said, look, I've, sh- I've allowed you to go through this to share about the eternity in heaven, the inheritance of tomorrow that comes through the belief in the gospel. He refused to do it at first. He says, you know, when you're in pain, pain makes you do things and think things you shouldn't. Jesus was on the cross. He went through pain. Well, eventually he got out of the funk and he said, what option do I have? So he began to travel the country, gave up his church, traveled the country, and shared the gospel confirmed by this story. Of course, the product was the book, the movie. That's all he does. The sales of the book would have made him a multi, multi-millionaire. You know what Don Piper does? He takes nothing, zero. We give him an honorarium. He didn't want to even want to take that. He's provided for in a way that's, that's okay. Hey, man, I know. You should see me when I goof. It's worse, okay? I preached 12 times with my zipper down over the years. So Don Piper, just, I, I'm amazed. You know what went through my mind? Let me be honest. I said, nothing? Not from the movie? Not from the book? In my mind, I thought, well, what's wrong with 10%? What's wrong with 1%? You know, the labor is worthy of their hire. Man, you suffered. I'm not as holy as Don Piper. I would have taken something. I didn't say it, though. <laughs> I just thought it. He says, you know what, Norman? When you've been to heaven, to take money for speaking about it is prostitution. And every day, because of the scars of my body, I remember the scars that Jesus bore on his for our amazing salvation because of his amazing grace. Father, we're going to come to communion and we pray that as we come to communion and Pastor Simon leads us, we pray that we might see Jesus for who your son is. Lord, that we might see you for who you are, who you continue to be, what you've done, in an absolute amazing work of grace. Let your grace come through this church to change this city. In Christ's name, amen. You're now listening to Grace City Portland.